This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Welcome to the show, finally reunited, Eric Anderson of Awards Watch. Hi. Hello. Hello. Well, congratulations on all your great work as usual covering films and awards season. And you're again at it covering the next award season. There was no break this year with that Oscar extension by two months. Usually I have a little bit of time to kind of decompress, but it started in in full before the Oscars even came around. So we are right in it. It was so funny because I was thinking of you the other day when I was preparing for this. You remember that Greek mythology, the Sisyphus, who's forced to roll that immense boulder on the hill and it rolls down mm-hmm. as soon as he nears the top. It's like I would see a mini Eric Anderson with a huge Oscar statue tied on your back going up and then just rolling down. I, I had Sisyphus in college, but it cleared up really quick, so... <laughs> All good now. All good. All good. Okay, good. So here's what I think we would do, and and I love it. We're going to be talking about these some upcoming anticipated movies um, for 2021, and which you think are in contention for the Oscar for 2022. What we can expect, what you know now today. Um, but first, I have to get your comments on the absolute massacre fallout of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the cancellation of the 2022. Golden Globes. So sharpen your claws. (laughs) Let me just give a super short timeline for the listeners. So the Globes are, of course, run by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, a really small group in quotation marks of journalists are around 87. Um, In February, a huge expose from the LA Times uncovered a bunch of unethical, racist behavior, no black members, um, something we sort of always knew, a well-kept secret in the in the business. Um, in April, Phil Burke, who was a former president, called the Black Lives Matter a racist hate movement. He was expelled. Then they tried, they unveiled their diversity reform, which was heavily criticized for not being enough. Netflix, Ted Sarandos, Reese Witherspoon, Shonda Rhimes, Amazon, Mark Ruffalo, a whole bunch of people came out asked to sort of step back from the HFPA. Last week, NBC announced that it would not air the Golden Globes. And a few days later, Tom Cruise had just had about enough of this nonsense and returned his three Golden Globe trophies that he'd won over his career. So what does this mean for movies and awards and for you as an awards journalist? Just what are your thoughts? It's a lot. This all all <laughs> all of this is a lot because uh, this is also part of my my livelihood. I I depend on you know ad revenue and and all of this, and the Golden Globes are a part of that. But then that also makes me a part of the the problem and not a part of the solution too. Um, this is the kind of thing where I guess you could call it an open secret. It kind of was that way, even though the Hollywood Foreign Press is just so incredibly secretive about their group and keeping the the membership uh, very tightly closed. Um, but it's also the kind of thing that inevitably had to come out. You knew that it was going to happen. 
But I don't think anybody, and certainly not the HFPA, uh, could have seen how quickly this was going to avalanche because their response to it, each time a new thing comes out, has been pretty reprehensible. Yeah. Um, there, there is no remorse at all because they have held this control and power for nearly 80 years in this industry as these, you know, bellwethers and, and as the kickoff of award season. So without any real confrontation or uh, being asked to do better, they've never done better. And when they gave responses like, we never thought about that we didn't have a black member in our ranks is the same as saying, you know, I don't see color. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the exact wrong answer because you, you're, you are actively then not looking at who you are as a group, what you represent, what the world represents, uh, anything like that. And especially for a group that is supposed to be a group of international uh, yeah, journalists. Nice. And you come on, just it's, get and it together. And also who have been confronted with this for such a long time that doesn't seem like they've even internally have been trying to see, you know, to, to analyze it, to talk about it, to see what's in it. It's just like, it, it, no, it goes in here, goes out there. And the responses have been just ridiculous. Very much so. And I think that the, the things that have been revealed and happened this year uh, are obviously in a morally compass kind of way are bigger and much more important than all of the things that we used to make fun of them for, uh, you know, for nominating things like the tourists because they want to get Angelina Jolie and, and Johnny Depp there and giving awards to Pia Zadora. Because, I mean, these are all the classics that everybody kind of falls back on every single year when we talk about the Globes, we always kind of make fun of, of terrible movies that they nominate. I mean, music this year just happened. Uh, and, and that becomes the, that becomes the conversation and it never goes any deeper. And again, I'm as, as much at fault of, of this as anybody, it never goes deeper than that to analyze the, the, the money issues and the membership issues and, and race issues that are much bigger and much more important. Mm -hmm. So when everybody started pulling out, you know, Netflix, all of these, again, these are, these are groups that have depended on, on the globes and that relationship. So it's, it's kind of like when, when you're, when you're the person or the group that has so much and the most to benefit, from that relationship and you pull out it says a lot yeah and i'm yeah, not i'm not i'm not you know applauding all of these studios because this has all been you know this circle jerk of of camaraderie uh but it's still a good thing it's a great thing but in terms of, of NBC pulling out of airing the show in 2022, I understand from, from the LA Times expose that, I mean, rights to air the Golden Globes is where they fund all this from. What does this mean that they're not going to be airing the show in terms of their economy? It means a lot. They spent like $80 million. It's, 
it's huge. And I don't think that the um, the dismal ratings of the last Globes really is a a big factor in it because everything kind of took hits across the board. And the Globes have been one of the more consistent uh, rating successes in a way that like the Oscars has not been. And so that morally and ethically was a humongous decision, a huge, I mean, that was, that was it. That was the death knell. And, and even then the response by the Hollywood foreign press was that, well, even though we were not going to be televised, you know, it doesn't mean that we're still not going to be doing our awards. That was the, obviously <laughs> I'm paraphrasing the shit out of that, but that's basically what they said. So it's probably going so to be- So passive aggressive. <laughs> they really are. They're never going to learn. Um, I, so I think what it might end up being is sort of like what happened in the 2007, 2008 with the writer's strike. And it might just be like a, a, a press conference, a press release kind of thing and not a show. And that's only if NBC doesn't renege and, and relent on that uh, commitment to not air them. Because the biggest part, the biggest part for NBC was that none of the things that the Hollywood Foreign Press was suggesting in their initiatives were going to be fast enough. It was like, we'll do this over a period of 18 months, which is no. I'll get it's, to it. No, it's the beginning of the year. You actually have plenty of time to do all the things that you need to do that people want you to do. Clean house, all of it. Increase, you know, the membership by 50%. And their their timeline is, or, or what they have in their timeline is all good stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad NBC did that. It was a pretty brave choice. Do you think it's the end of the, can they come back? The HFPA and the Golden Globes? and I think so, because I think more people want them to come back than don't. Um, again, like I said, this is such, the Globes are such a huge part of this cycle. They are bread and butter for a lot of people and outlets and recognition and, and a lot of things. Um, so I do think they can come back, but they need to do it in a very sincere way and the and with transparency. If they can't come back with real transparency, uh, then then I don't see I don't see how they can do it in a way that it will be successful. And that's not looking great, I have to say. I mean, the Oscars were yeah. pretty quick. The Academy was pretty quick. And BAFTA. Oscar, so what, yeah, and BAFTA. And these seem to be much more passive aggressive procrastinators we'll, mm -hmm. we'll we'll see what happens and and something i read that you had on on twitter which is the craziest part of this well not the craziest but one crazy <laughs> part of it is that they're the one award show that actually has the best musical comedy category and there's all these musicals coming this year <laughs> what does this mean i mean of all years yeah of all years this is this is like it's kind of devastating <laughs> For yeah. that, and that's even with Cinderella, and then this morning the announcement of of everybody's talking about Jamie, both going to Amazon Prime and and bypassing theaters, which takes them out of Oscar contention, but would have kept them in you know Golden Globe, TV movie contention, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's um 
West it's, Side it's, Story, it's, In the Heights, Dear Evan Hansen, all these that would have been incredible at the I Golden think Globes. I think my comment was how horrible is it going to be that music was the last original musical nominated <laughs> for a Golden Globe if they never come back? That would oh be a God. sad that would be a sad uh, period at the end of that sentence. Well, we'll see what happens, but let's get into the best pictures. What I'm thinking was that we'll go through your best picture potential rankings and talk about each of those. And if there's any actors or any other directors in those that you see specifically want to call out, do that. And then we can go through other ones that aren't mentioned here afterwards. Mm -hmm. So um, do you want to start us off? I, I did my I did my first prediction pieces the last couple of weeks. Uh, this picture was was May third, and I did a lot of kind of examining what I feel is going to be the big difference between this last season and and the new season because I do feel like it's going to be a really dramatic. Obviously, last year threw everybody for a loop studios got super nervous pulled all of their big stuff out pushed it to later in 2021 so there was very little uh big studio representation at at the oscars uh judas and the black messiah was the biggest you know from warner brothers and weirdly it's still i can't get out of my head that something like news of the world wasn't a bigger a bigger film with voters because you you have to imagine that a, a large amount of very traditional older voters were going to look for things that was speaking to them in a quote unquote normal Oscar year. And they said, not really that much. Uh, so that was a big surprise. And so part of that makes me wonder how big the studio comeback will be this year, but I do think it's going to be pretty big. I think we're going to see uh, the 20th century and, and Warner Brothers and, uh, and, and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm also looking at studios that have done extremely well here, like Searchlight Pictures which, you know, obviously is the indie smaller version of no Century and Disney. Yeah, and that was Nomadland this year. And, and the last decade, you know, they won three <laughs> best pictures. They're really, really, really good at this. Yeah. Uh, and so this year they've got Nightmare Alley. They have the French Dispatch. Uh, I think both of those could do very well for them. And then their parent studio, 20th Century, has West Side Story and the untitled David O. Russell, uh, which, you know, I'm certainly not going to count out. That's you've got a track record that is phenomenal uh but his movies are really good at getting actors nominated right and this one has a pretty amazing cast from christian bale robert de niro rami malek margot robbie Anya taylor, taylor joy. joy wow john david washington that does not end this list here so I, this are you seeing that a bunch of actors from this could be in contention I think possible, yeah. I think Margaret Robbie, uh, I think John David Washington, Christian Bale, uh, maybe on Taylor Joy, because she's obviously having just an amazing Hot, couple of yeah. years, and she will do great at the Emmys too, and that'll kind of just kick off into that. Um, I mean, yeah, to, to your point about Russell, he had two movies in a row that got nominations in all four acting categories. That has never happened before. Uh, 
uh, it's really, really impressive. But this is also going to be a year of the massive, massive casts. There, wow. I've I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. There, there's his film. There's uh, Don't Look Up from Adam McKay, which you know Jennifer Lawrence and Meryl Streep and Kate Blanchett and Leonardo DiCaprio, and French Dispatch. There That's are, <laughs> and yeah, there are like ten films that have SAG cast nomination just engraved on them. There, do you have just a theory huge. as to is this like a why is this? I, I I think there was just that dearth of working and of content in 2020 uh, of a lot of huge big stars because you know we didn't we didn't see that you know with the nominations and 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 winners and stuff throughout the the season. So this is and it's going to be painted like this too whether it's every article or whether it's the Oscars themselves, it's going to be like, it's the return to movies. That's yeah. you will not be able to escape that phrase all year long as, you know, theaters open up and we're all kind of going back. And that's, that's going to be the, the overarching thing. And when people say that something like, you know, return to movies, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about big budget movies. They're talking about big studio movies, the movie stars uh, and, and and movie stars and box office and all of that. So it's hard for me to not see, you know, the the Oscars kind of mirroring that. But at the same time, there's going to be so many that it's going to be a bloodbath in no matter what the category is. <laughs> so last year we had nothing and this year we'll be like, woo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, last year was a, was a fantastic year for independent film. And I think this year will be too. I don't think I'm not, you know, disregarding that at all because we've got the tragedy of, of Macbeth, which is Joel Cohen and has Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand who just won her third and fourth Oscars. I mean, that is a powerhouse team that is, to me is undeniable. Uh, I think it's going to be huge. Netflix, of course, is going to be back. And of course they have too many, candidates again i mean they have like 10 things they're going to have to really really you know look at at what to what to lift and what to kind of let be organic and and that's the funny thing with them is that for for as much as they try and and orchestrate what the attention and priority should be it's it's often other things that happen organically that that take over uh, clearly that happened in in documentary feature for, for them where mm -hmm. crip camp was you know from sundance on that was their that was their main horse uh and then very very late in the season it was my octopus teacher and are you getting me into this again <laughs> you know I'm how just, i feel I, about this <laughs> i know but i'm just saying that this is this is for me one of the most fascinating things yeah. about they were all uh, robbed that's all. Yeah, but but it's it's the most fascinating thing to me about uh, awards campaigns and the Oscar race is regardless of how you feel about that movie, it was a completely organic way that it happened, and when you really try and force a contender uh, to be your contender, this happens. You 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 really it's not reading the tea leaves 
well. But at the same time, it's really, really, really difficult when there are no signs that so this total dark horse uh, is your actual real contender. So, I mean, this year, let me look when at my they have You mentioned that the harder they fall, right? Is that That's a Western, is is it is. With... It's a it, it's a black western, and I'm soup that another like one of those candidates for huge uh, cast, you know, SAG ensemble. Uh, I'm super excited for that. I can't. That's Regina that. King and Lakeith Stanfield and Idris Elba. Idris Elba, Jonathan Majors, uh, Delroy Lindo, who maybe you know can be righted the wrong he was given. Yes, let it be his <laughs> uh, year. <laughs> last year's Oscars. Uh, but they have so many movies. I'm just looking at my list. They've got Blonde, the Anna de Armas, uh, Marilyn Monroe movie. Joyce they have Bruised. <laughs> yeah. Halle Berry's directorial debut. They have Don't Look Up, which we mentioned, The Heart of They Fall, The Hand of God, Passing, which they got from uh, Sundance, The Power of the Dog, uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, which is Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial feature debut, and the untitled uh, Nora Fingshite with Sandra Bullock and Viola Davis called Unforgiven. And there's also a movie called The Forgiven. So that's going to be a lot of fun this year. But that, what I'm pulling from that list, because it is obviously a really big list, is uh, The Power of the Dog, which is Jane Campion. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at that. We've Who's had... That? that is Benedict Cumberbatch, Tristan Dunst, and Jesse Plemons. And it's a fascinating novel that sort of pulls a little bit from uh, Giant and Brokeback Mountain. Mm -hmm. That's kind of all like I'll really say about that. And I'm really excited for those performances from a potential return uh, for Jane Campion. Uh, I'm I'm very excited for it, and I think it's I think it's the kind of thing that that's one of those things that would happen sort of organically. It might make sense to push Don't Look Up because it's the star-powered vehicle, but that's already going to do that on its own. It doesn't need that extra boost when you have a, a, a name cast like that, not, you know, that Dunst and Plemons and Cumberbatch aren't, but it's, you know, you're working on different levels really there. Um, yeah, I just want to backtrack because I think my question about the big cast was more, why do you think it's a trend in terms of filmmaking? I mean, I mean, why these... Big, oh, like sorry, the I just went on a big rant with that. No, no, I, no, it was just in, no, I just came to think of the, the question again. So interesting that you're, we're working with not just, you know, these marriage story type two actors, on, but now it's, it's this is the trend. Do you see any reason in terms of narrative? Well, I mean... French Dispatch aside, because that was already done. And Wes Anderson always uh, does that. And he always does it anyway. Um, I, I think it was, I think it's twofold. Uh, I think because 2020 had such a lack of work for a lot of people that this is a big return to, to work. And as I mentioned before, I think it's part of the feeling of the, the big return of studio films as well and so that's that's what it feels like to me is well not you know a a a conscious uh active we need to bring back studio films and 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 stars kind of thing i think there was certainly a, a subconscious level with it to start you know building these um 
these casts and just going absolutely for star power and names over and over and over. I mean, the 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 more names that that came out for Don't Look Up was, you know, it just kind of Which one was, was that hilarious. Like Don't Look Up is the Adam McKay that has oh, right. DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep, Timothy Chalamet. Is that Chalamet. a sci-fi movie? It's a climate change movie, but I'm still, I mean, I know people have read the script. I don't usually read scripts ahead of, uh, I don't know. I just don't, I don't want to do that so much. So I'm not sure of the tone of it. Others obviously would be. So I don't know if there is a, but to your you know, point, let me just read this cast yeah. because because if yeah, please sort of do. If they're luncheon, if you know, if they were kidnapped, we'd have no more actors left. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, Mark Rylance, Timothy Chalamet, Jonah Hill, Ariana Grande, Gina Gershon, Tyler Perry, Matthew Perry, Ron Perlman, Melanie Linsky, and more. <laughs> yeah, I think like Rob Morgan. I mean, there are. This cast is is hilarious and amazing and great, and I and I love it. I love all of these big cast movies. Uh, I hope they don't consistently overshadow yeah. everybody and everything, but I'm I'm excited. Two of the sort of smaller movies um, that we saw at Sundance actually, Coda and Mass. Coda is the one Child of Deaf Adults, which was a biggest acquisition in, in ever for a movie from Sundance about a one hearing child in a family she wants to be a singer and it's a great little movie and uh, mass about a how can we spoil that or I don't know how to talk about that one really you know two family members in a very difficult conversation after a very traumatic um I, th I think incident. that's the the best the best way to describe it mm -hmm. um you know, even though the reviews, you know, revealed that, but maybe not everybody wants to, because even in the movie, they don't, they don't say it and address it takes a while. Yeah. for a long, long time. So if you don't know what they're there for, you're much, you're just kind of going, oh, what's this about? That was an acting extravaganza. I was blown away by these four. Um, Martha Plimpton was one example. Um, do you see that getting through these huge casts that we're just talking about here? I think it's going to be really difficult. I like Bleecker Street a lot, uh, who picked it up just a few weeks ago. It's It did really surprise me that it took this long. I thought it's it would have been the kind of film that would have gotten scooped up before the festival had ended. It totally was like red Sony Pictures classics for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, think it, I think it's going to have an incredibly tough time. I hope it gets seen. Uh, it will probably be the Independent Spirit Award Robert Altman winner. I could see that pretty easily. Mm -hmm. But I, I have a hard time seeing it really break through. I want it to. Doesn't mean that I won't, you know, feature it in my predictions um, I have for supporting actress, especially. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. And Coda, I'm... I'm so confused at what Apple is doing with it by releasing it in August. Uh, I'm, I'm that's kind of a bad time, you would say. I'm baffled because that means that you know it wouldn't be at Telluride, it wouldn't be at Toronto. Those are two festivals that 
would be spectacular for this film, especially Toronto. If it if it was being held and at Toronto, I would call this one of the easiest audience winners ever. Mm-hmm. And it 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 deserves that, and it kind of needs that, and it would be building on everything that it won at Sundance. It won four awards at Sundance, on top of the twenty five million dollars that Apple paid for it. So it's I'm confused at what the the thought is about an August release, unless it's really just to kind of, you know, force people to get Apple TV Plus. Mm-hmm. But again, that's what a festival word of mouth would do. Let's see if that's a decision that pays off for them, or is is we'll see afterwards. But and yeah. then there's two other movies that we have heard a ton about and seen more basically seen the entire movie with just set photos that's house of gucci with lady gaga and adam driver about the story of patricia reggiani the ex-wife of uh, Maurizio gucci who plotted to kill her husband and then of course the remake of dune which everyone has been waiting for with bated breath um talk about those in terms of your predictions um i feel actually really really good about house of gucci I do, I want somebody to just take all of those set pictures and create yeah. like a, a like book? a picture book. Yeah, because it's, it, it's the it's whole movie. movie. It's got like pretty much everything. Uh, I mean, like even the, you know, assassination. I mean, this, the wedding, him falling down the steps. <laughs> it's like all of it. Finally, it's, oh, go there it is again. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. I loved it. I loved every single bit of it. Um, I feel like it's going to do really well. Uh, Ridley Scott has that and his other film that he had been working on before, The Last Duel. And those are being released just like a month apart. But I think I think Gucci is the, I think it's the more likely contender, although it's MGM, not a big Oscar uh, studio. And they have like, oh, out of nowhere, they have like three or four major films wow. uh, that are going to be in the race, including the Jennifer Hudson, Aretha Franklin biopic, Respect. They have a lot. And when you consider that they are on the ropes financially and that Amazon is in talks to buy them, you also have to wonder what even kind of campaign could a broke studio run or three films, much less one. So we could see an, a really big thing happen between now and when any of these films are released. And could this be their sort of shoot, shoot them up to, you know, their grand old stature again? Possibly, you know, I mean, obviously they, they have the, the, the late James Bond, No Time to Die later in the year. And that's always been the cash cow for MGM. It's it's kind of been all that they've really had to to hold on to because generally the movies in this era all make a boatload of money. You can still spend $250 million on a James Bond movie and it will return that investment. But that's really all they have. And I, yeah, I, I feel good about Gucci, but... It's going to be something that I'm keeping a really close eye on this season because it's just not a studio that has the the money or the the strength to pull out 
a pretty massive campaign. And just in terms of the movie, I'm so curious about the tone of the what that it's going to be that Ridley. I mean, we've seen all the pictures, but what is sort of Ridley Scott's tone? Is it going to be sort of soap opera or a real drama? I'm really curious about where he's going to take it in that sense. I think so, and it's narrated by by her by Gaga and even breaks the fourth wall. So that tells me that there might be a little bit of not, you know, satire or comedy. Tanya-ish? But, but a little bit. Oh, I don't think it's going to be that extreme. Um, although that would be really fun. Um, it's, you know, it's weird. The people's responses to, to stories like this of pretty terrible people doing terrible things, but giving it a spin of comedy uh, some people don't really like or respond to that because they think it lessens their crime, yeah. their crime and their actions. And it's like, okay, but are you saying that a comic spin on it is going to change your opinion on that person? Or is it just a different way to represent something? Because if you already you know feel morally that what person A has done is terrible, then, then that's how you feel. Yeah, I mean, I love I, Tanya, and I love the approach that it took, but it doesn't make me like, you know, think that what, what happened was funny or good. Okay, what about Dune then, which is Denis Villeneuve's huge, um, which we call it remake or? Adaptation, I think is fine. With Timothy Chalamet again and Zendaya, and we've been hearing about this for so long. Are you... Good vibes. Another big, gorgeous cast. Oscar Isaac, Javier Bardem. It's like, come on. Charlotte Rampling, give me a break. Come on. That's amazing. It's incredible. And that's that's a that's a perfect example of a movie that was taken, lifted out of 2020 uh, and pushed to 2021. And that was uh, Warner Brothers. And there's a lot of things happening with this, too, because... Originally, uh, when Warner Brothers made that big announcement at the end of 2020, where they were going to put everything on uh, HBO Max and in theaters day at the same day, and had these like 31-day windows, I think it was. You know, obviously it was met with a lot of different responses. And uh, they said they were going to do that with everything through 2021. Year. And they just pulled back on that for Dune, which most people are very happy about because they want the theatrical window and the experience and all that. Although the first big example of and test of this, the Godzilla versus Kong, did pretty, pretty well uh, with that day and date. And that was really before, you know, theaters were open open mm -hmm. uh it 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 did very well so i think you know by the time something dune were to come out i think we'd still see super strong box office as well as uh as home video uh viewing so i'm not sure i like the idea of the day and date i think it's pretty great but i'm, I'm curious i'm curious to see how this is going to go and also too there's some debate right now of whether it's going to be a Cannes premiere or a Venice premiere. 
after uh, Jerry Fremu's uh, comments about a planetary blockbuster <laughs> being at Cannes. So everyone's like, what else could it be? It's obviously Dune. I mean, yeah, of course that, that, I mean, that if he used that phrase as a reveal, then yeah, obviously it is, but it's weird because I thought that I had heard that it was going to be Venice. So we'll see how that plans okay. pans well, out. Sometimes but... they have their little internal feud. Oh, they all do. All festivals do. You mentioned briefly The Last Duel, which is the other Ridley Scott movie. And this is the one written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. What do we know? Are they in it? They are in it with uh, Jodie Comer and Adam Driver. And it's uh, King Charles the sixth and there is a it's a rape and revenge tale and so that's all i really kind of yeah, know about it. it yes medieval yes 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 uh and i'll say those set pictures leave a lot to be desired <laughs> at least <laughs> at least for one. For Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, I'm like, that doesn't look right. Oh. But but Adam Driver and Jodie Comer look amazing. They 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 look fine. But the other two, not really so but much. Are you are you basing sort of the Oscar buzz around the fact that Matt and Ben have won script uh, screenplay before, and it's Ridley Scott, or because the sort of story itself, I don't know how Oscar-y it feels. It feels more like a below the line contender you know, costumes, production design kind of stuff, sound, that kind of thing. I don't really see it as above the line the way that I see House of Gucci. But, you know, we'll we'll see. He could have a Steven Soderbergh year, you know, with Traffic and, and Aaron Brockovich. Maybe. And going back to your list here, there's a few movies that I hadn't heard about really Belfast directed by Kenneth Branagh um nice to see him in sort of Oscar talk again yes I'm I'm really curious about this and I mean obviously my my big thing is okay it's focus features and they're also really really good at this uh especially when they can hone a uh a concentrated campaign what they did with Promising Young Woman was absolutely stunning incredible oh right um so I feel really, I feel good about this. Um, it's got a super cool cast, Judy Dench, Jamie Dornan, uh, Katrina Balfe, Taryn Hines. I'm, is it the I'm, 60s? Is it? It is 1960s. I'm, I'm super, I'm super curious. Uh, it's obviously going to be very dramatic. It feels a little classically Oscar-y. I don't know, like maybe 90s. Uh -huh. Miramax style, kind of, um, but I really do like Kenneth Branagh, and I'm I'm glad to see him going kind of sort of to something like this, stepping away from the Cinderella death of the yeah. Nile He's kind of thing. He's been a bit out somewhere else <laughs> than where <Yeah>. he should be. <laughs> And then Cyrano, which I didn't realize was being made. Of, of all these musicals I mentioned, I didn't realize there was a musical coming of The Life of Cyrano de Bergerac by Joe Wright. I, I am so excited for this. Um, if anything, just to wash the taste of woman in the window out of my mouth. Joe and Wright, yeah, because he directed that. <laughs> from my eyes. Um, but 
I mean, yeah, talk about a cast. Kelvin Harrison Jr., Peter Dinklage, Haley Bennett, Brian Tyree Henry, Ben Mendelsohn. Put this in my face right now. Give it to me. Give it to me. Uh, but this is MGM. This is one oh, of their one of this those. is one of their movies too. Um and uh, I just don't know. I, I don't know how I can't see them prioritizing this in a way uh that they will House of Gucci. Uh so it's really tough. It would have to happen kind of on its own. It would have to have a really good festival run. It has a Christmas Eve release in limited, which means it's gonna be one of those that gets held until like February and nobody's gonna really see it. Uh, the general public is not gonna see this movie uh, until like right before the Oscars. And that's no fun, I hate that. I never But I'm really excited that. for it. I'm so excited for this. And then I have to go to Nightmare Alley because there we have Guillermo del Toro is back. What is this about? This is a huge cast again. <laughs> Another huge cast. Yeah, let's let's look at this cast. Kate Blanchett, uh, Bradley Cooper, Rooney Mara, Richard Jenkins, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, David Strathairn, Mary Steenburgen, Clifton Collins Jr., Ron Polerman again. I mean, th this is... Haven't we said Kate Blanchett, Bradley Cooper, and Ron Perlman in two other ones? That's, I'm, I'm going to be doing a piece later in the season about how many actors have multiple roles in films this year because even though it happens all the time uh this is like i've never seen anything like it there are people with three and four roles uh in films that are coming out this year and you know it was just not working for a year and jamming a whole bunch of stuff together uh again this is a movie that was already uh almost complete uh, as the pandemic hit, so it's been kind of held for a while. So this, it's not something that was shot during the pandemic, just one of the, the holdovers. And I'm kind of, I don't, I don't know where like somebody like Kate Blanchett is in this. I, I think she's probably supporting, even though I have her in lead. I have her number, like I think I have her number one in lead and number one in supporting because, you know, it's just kind of up in the air. And right now, this is my number one film. Oh, really? I, what, it do is. you know the premise? Uh, let's see. An ambitious carny with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words hooks up with a female psychiatrist who is even more dangerous than he is. Uh, it's, you know, 40s period. Uh, the very few pictures that have been released, the set pictures that have been released are pretty exciting, pretty cool. Obviously, the reunion of Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett is exciting. Um, and I just, I, I love everything that I feel about this. It's, yeah, good it, Carney movie. That was a while ago. Yeah, I, I, I feel really good about this. I don't know. We'll see. And this cast is, I, I can't. It's amazing. Another one I'm so much so curious about and so looking forward to is the untitled Paul Thomas Anderson movie, which I guess has been called Soggy Bottom. It's the working title, yeah. Which is another Bradley Cooper movie. But also, um, isn't Michael Gandolfini in this movie? Gandolfini's son? No, that's the, Sopr the Sopranos prequel. 
the many saints of Newark. Oh. This is Philip Seymour Hoffman's oh, son. Oh, Philip Seymour son. That's what I'm getting. Yes. Yeah, I knew that yeah. there was a son in here. Um, yeah, Cooper, uh, Cooper Hoffman. Bradley Cooper and Cooper Hoffman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Based on the character that Bradley Cooper is playing, which looks to be a supporting role in the costuming and, and everything, uh, what it looks like it is going to be is he's the producer of The Star is Born, which is pretty funny, obviously, since Bradley Cooper directed the remake of A, a Star is Born. And even that Alana Haim might be playing Barbara Streisand or a version of her. And I think that's what this is. It's not like these are the people that they're playing. It's like, here are versions of them. And this is about a child star. So I can't tell if that means that Cooper Hoffman is the lead. That would be pretty interesting as a, as a first film. Um, I am obviously incredibly excited and, oh, and into <laughs> this movie. Um, also a really super cool cast, Benny Safdie uh, in it as well. Um, again, though, this is MGM. <laughs> Go MGM. They, MGM has the best slate of movies coming out. Nobody could have predicted that. Nobody could have. So it's... I almost want Amazon to buy them so that they can throw some money their way, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'm yeah. I mean, I'm super excited because I'm excited for anything that, that Paul Thomas Anderson does. I do like that they're giving the film a late November limited release and then wide on Christmas. So unlike, you know, these Christmas day limited release films, people will be able to, I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen them a little bit. Not that, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson movies are big blockbusters. They're not. But uh, I like I like that they're doing this. Even though it's opening, I think, the same, like a couple of days. Let me look at it. After House of Gucci, which is kind of crazy. Same day. No, House of Gucci is going to be wide November 24th. November 26th, limited for Soggy Bottom. Brave. Very brave. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how, how you we- do it. Yeah, last year we were saying, okay, we, we're not seeing anything. We're not going, and that's, that's all we're going to be doing is just going to the movies. And I don't mind that. Uh, no, we were talking, we opened up talking about musicals. We, of course, have Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Um, how is this in terms of In the Heights and, and with all these other musicals? Do you see these competing, or is, is Spielberg's in a league of its own? Both. A little bit of both. Um, I mean, obviously, I think In the Heights is going to do really well this summer. I think it's going to really activate people uh, to want to go to the theater. But I do wonder how much staying power that it it will have uh, once we get to the holiday season with all of these heavy hitters, November, December are going to be insane. And it, it feels like anything that happened before November is going to be forgotten which happens all the time. And and I think it's, you know, when I'm putting together these things, I'm trying to, to create a thoughtful balance that is hopeful and realistic. So it's, it's unrealistic for me to not think that Spielberg's adaptation wouldn't be or couldn't be a major player or more so than any of the other musicals that are coming out. I think it will be. I do wonder about 
if any blowback from Ansel Elgort's uh, allegations will happen. I feel like it won't, but I do think the focus is going to be on Rachel uh, Ziegler and uh, Ariana DeBose, and she plays Maria, and Ariana DeBose plays uh, Anita, which won Rita Moreno, the supporting actress Oscar. And Moreno is in the film playing a gender swapped version of Doc uh, and a little bit expanded. So it'll be really nice to to have that connection for the movie. I liked the teaser. I don't know if I'm a really bad person, but I still am like, why? <laughs> why are we doing this? I mean, I'm, I'm happy to change my mind, but I'm still sort of like, I feel apprehensive. You know, I'm generally not upset by adaptations. I mean, I know some people feel that certain things are like untouchable and I get that. But I do like that, I mean, if it's good, that we can have like, you know, generational versions of things. It doesn't mean that the other one was lost. It just means here's, you know, here's here's a, a another another one. And also too, it depends on on how you even phrase it. Is it an adaptation or is it a remake? I've, it's kind of both because it's sticking in the same, you know, time period. It's the same songs. It's not like Cyrano. Cyrano is updated. It's a totally new thing. Um, this is a pretty straightforward uh, adaptation of the original musical. So it's not changing time period. It's not. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. It just. It Exactly. So this, so that kind of sort of makes it like a why. Why? What do you? Why are you doing this if you're not changing What's anything about it? It's relevant to our time. I, it is, but it, the old one is. I mean, I could show it to my kids, and we could still talk about that. One we'll one thing that it does is, you know, cast more appropriate actors in in roles, which didn't didn't happen, you know, in the fifties and sixties, or seventies or eighties or nineties. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think there's I think that's one great advantage that it has. Um, let me see. Is there something I should mention here? I, I just one of the things I saw in, in your list was that Glenn Close is back. Do you think that this finally could be her year or what is this movie? Glenn Close is always going to be back. <laughs> yes. Always, always. And and I'm I'm never I'm never not happy about that. Yeah, I think possibly. Uh, that's Apple as well. It would be a supporting actress. Uh, Hearn. Yeah, I think so. I, I think she could. I don't, you know, I don't really, I can't say much more about it than that, but it's got a really good cast. Mahershala Ali, he's a two-time winner. Yeah. Is uh, it know. a drama? It is. Yeah. It's a, it's a cancer drama. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'm also really intrigued by uh, a hero, which is at Amazon, and that's Oscar Farhadi. Uh, I have him predicted as the uh, Thomas Vinterberg potentially of this year because we are seeing that trend of uh, non-American directors being represented by the directing branch who do this quite a bit. Uh, it's a hard thing to call this early in the season, obviously. It took it took me a long while to really uh, 
nailed down predicting Vinterberg, but you know, you can start to see things happen. And, and I think people are, are looking at it much more closely. Uh, yeah, at the director's race and, and, you know, which maybe European director is going to get in this year, you know, over uh, an American director that everybody thinks is going to get in that kind of thing. So I, I think that's going to be a big focus this year is that category. Um, also, obviously, because we just saw that category break all kinds of uh, records in history this year. With female directors and all yeah, that. Yeah, with two female directors, with two Asian directors. Um, I don't think it's going to look like that this year. But I do think it's going to be a very focused on category by any of us that do this. And it should be. And I almost missed a super interesting one on your list here, King Richard, um, that looks at Venus and Serena Williams and being tennis superstars, of course, and the coaching by their father, Richard Williams, where Will Smith is playing their father, Richard Williams, right? Now, this sounds yeah. really interesting, too. I, I, th I think that it is. I think there is certainly some potential there for, uh, for Will Smith. It also feels like it might be, that's all. That's the only, uh, only nomination a film like this gets because the focus and the attention is going to be completely about Will Smith. So. Great. What else? What have, have I missed anything before we, <laughs> <laughs> that, that you want to mention? Um, Sony Pictures has a journal for Jordan, which is Denzel Washington's next directorial film with Michael B. Jordan. And that has a December 10th limited release, December 22nd wide. Um, you know, I, I think it might get some attention, but it also really might just be like a boost um, for the tragedy of Macbeth. Right, for Denzel, that's the other one Denzel is in, of course. Yeah. We've got Mothering Sunday from Sony Pictures Classics, Olivia Coleman, Colin Firth, Glenda Jackson, Josh O'Connor. Glenda. Post-World War I England. Um, I think there's a lot of potential there, especially when you have names like that. And Sony Pictures Classics just did an outstanding job with the father, uh, while many of us were lamenting that they had you know, made this poor campaign for the film. It was actually a superbly targeted campaign. Mm -hmm. Never, I... ever underestimate Sony Pictures Classics. Okay. <laughs> I will, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Um, I'm just astounded by like just picturing the sort of dinners and the stars that are going to be out en masse this, this season when they start promoting these pictures and when Oscar season rolls around, it's going to be like red carpet we've never seen before. Red carpet premieres later this year are going to be insane. We better not have any COVID variants. Yeah, I hope not either, or any any spark ups. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Eric, I'm so excited about this season coming. I I, I feel like can we take like a year off just to watch all these movies? <laughs> yeah, that's I, that's where I'm wondering too, Mike. These are all great, but wait a minute. How, when am I going to watch all these and go to all these festivals? Eric, thank you so much. This is always great fun, and we'll hook up again really soon. 
Thank you. It's always great to chat. We're going to have such a fun year. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.